come on in. It's Small Town D&D with Chelsea Lee. Despite what Alex says, my future naming conventions are in fact very good. For example, in a list, I had the names Baby, Lady Baby, which is for a dragon with eyelashes, and Babby, which is Baby, two Bs in the middle. With David Dillon. (laughs) I'm looking for the longest noodle in the bowl. And Dewey Cassidy. I forgot we have to think of stuff. And I'm your Dungeon Master, Alex Wolfson. Let's jump in. Welcome to this Arc 1 recap of Small Town D&D. We have done a whole lot in these past few months, but this is the episode for you if you're looking to refresh yourself on the plot or you're looking to catch up for the very first time ahead of Arc 2. Or you're the one writing our wiki and you need something condensed. (laughs) Very helpful. And so without further ado, let's jump into it. Once again, the air is hot and humid. Your linen shirt sticks to your sweaty chest again. Flies buzz around your head incessantly. Light filters through dense forest and mangrove swamps as we walk down an old forgotten stone path. And there, one more time, where the forest meets the swamp, where the air is the thickest, we come to the bayou town of Chester's Chair. Wait, are we playing the first episode again? No, that was Red Live. (laughs) And in this fine town live three oddballs who we are beginning to get to know quite well. We first meet the local crazy old man with a heart of gold, Jeremiah Gelsinkley. David, could you introduce us to Jeremiah? Yeah, Jeremiah is a Asimar grave cleric, and he has over the years now has little nubby angel wings on his uh, shoulder blades. He looks like a normal human unless if he takes his shirt off. He follows the the great dark lord Kellum Vor and um but is overall a very positive guy. He wears his overall jean suspenders, uh plaid shirt and uh has a beard that attaches to his big white puffy hair so he looks like a giant dandelion. We meet the study abroad student, too old to be stuck at a schoolhouse for children and desperate (laughs) to leave, Clegg Tumstool. Chelsea, could you introduce us to Clegg? Clegg is small, even for a halfling. She's got prematurely gray silver hair from the stress of being alive. She wears orange robes from Colnox University and insists to everyone in Chester's chair that she's here on study abroad and never follows up on that. She is a divination wizard who is constantly using her portents for the sake of getting her friends' plots and plans to succeed. She works at the Tower Schoolhouse and may or may not be desperately trying to get the teacher, Miss Maggie Lathy, a hot date. Hell yeah. I wouldn't be able to do three quarters of the stuff that I've <laughs> wanted to do without Horton those portent so dice. Good. It's unreal. Dude. I don't know why they allowed that in D&D. <laughs> And, of course, we meet the unfortunately named down-on-his-luck inventor waiting for his big break, Albert Penis. Dewey, could you introduce us to Albert? Yeah, Albert's not a great first name. <laughs> yes, this is Albert Penis, a uh, character of my own creation. He's the local inventor who runs his shop, Penis Curiosity, right on the heart of, uh, or right in the heart of Missing Chair Square. 
He's an inventor, but most of his inventions do not work, so he has a lot of fun tools that do not do their intended purpose, such as a catapult that was meant to be a toaster, etc., etc. His dream is to invent the next household object, so the next uh, butter knife, the next uh, refrigerator. Uh, so that's the sort of deal, and he hopes to one day go to Scarlet's Edge and prove his family wrong. And if you're looking at Albert Penis, you're going to see a male halfling, um, sort of like a young Benjamin Franklin, Jimmy Buffett type. He's got long hair, some spectacles, uh, you know, little coveralls, stuff like that. He's a cool looking little guy and he's slowly building a family. So we'll see how that goes out for oh, him. Yeah. Oh, this is something I wanted to know for the lore. Is Albert Penis's middle name still Brian or was that just a one off? That is correct. Yeah. Albert I thought Brian he Penis. came up with like two or three middle names. Did we say that? I believe on Brian? there were multiple. Wait, no, that might be Dumbledore. I think it was just Brian. <laughs> oh, okay. And as we fly over top of this small town, we see three main districts, all surrounding a central cobblestone town square. To the north is the Reed District, a collection of small homes and craftspeople's workshops nestled among tall reeds and muddy streams. The residents of the Reed District are skilled hunters and leather workers, and they call themselves the Tanners. Their motto is, trust only your arm. Southern Chester's chair is the Pond District. The largest district by population, the Pond District, is a collection of multi-level and architecturally interesting homes and woodworking workshops built around the shallow Fisher's Pond. The residents of the Pond District are lumberjacks and woodworkers, and they call themselves the Joiners. Their motto is, Precision Makes Perfect. Western Chester's chair is the Root District, the poorest neighborhood in town. Shacks and lean-tos mix among the roots of large, 60-foot-tall mangrove trees. It's sometimes referred to as the Flood District because most buildings flood during the monthly high tides. The residents of the Root District weave mangrove roots into garments and other goods and call themselves the Quilters. Their motto is woven together. And in the center of it all is Missing Chair Square, a large cobblestone square surrounded by merchant shops and small restaurants, including Albert Penis's shop, Penis Curiosity. The Duke's Road connects to the east and City Hall. Sorry, what's the motto for Missing Chair Square? Missing Chair Square is where's our chair? (laughs) (laughs) In the center is a memorial stone platform to the Missing Chester's Chair where Chester's chair once stood, though it was tragically stolen over 400 years ago and never recovered, giving this square its namesake. We began with The Call to Greatness, an annual event held across the continent in which one city is chosen for a special reward. Typically, the honor goes to one of the wealthy cities in the region, like the Metropolis of Scarlet Edge or the rich weekend getaway of Princeville. But not this year. Yay! This year... Against all odds, Chester's chair was selected for the call to greatness and won the chance to send three locals to train as heroes in Scarlet Edge and to host a visit from the Queen of Gardenia. Naturally, you three were not selected as the heroes because this is not a story about heroes. It's a story about regular people. Yeah, because regular people can't be heroes, Alex. (laughs) (laughs) You must be born into it and rich. I hope hope there are no firefighters listening. Oh my gosh, yep. Egg on my face. (laughs) Instead, you were selected to plan this large party for the queen and put in charge of making or breaking the reputation of Chester's chair. We met, of course, Mayor Gowdron Werp, who very openly did not give a crap about you at all, and also met Tile Boldfellow, the special assistant to the mayor, a 17-year-old balding boy with equal parts loyalty to the town and crippling anxiety. 
who essentially does the mayor's job for him. We got up to some good old-fashioned nonsense. We said the name Albert Penis a thousand times until we were desensitized to it. (laughs) Minimum. We discovered that the closet, Tile's office that he lets you use, is filled with a mysterious anxiety vomit that is totally definitely not his. Jeremiah Jelsinkley broke glassware in a bar and antagonized people for no reason. And Clegg spoke to Anthony the horse, expanding his worldview. And also, which we would later all forget about. All right. (laughs) Yeah. Whose horse was that? I do miss Anthony. It's David's horse. He owns that horse. You've had a horse this whole time? Yep. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really use it, but like he's there for when I need him. Where does he live? He lives in the barn. I mean, I guess it's good we haven't brought it back, because if we did, either he or Albert would be dead. <laughs> so There can be only one. We next visited the Towers Schoolhouse, led by Miss Maggie Lathy and Mr. Jack Cole. Jack Cole is the cool new teacher, while Miss Maggie Lathy is a kind woman in her early 40s who returned to Chester's chair after studying and working at the prestigious Cole Knox University far to the north. She's also Clegg's boss, who she does not get along with. At the Towers Schoolhouse, we learned that Albert Penis needs a buddy to pee and uncovered the beginnings of a mystery. A shadowy group known as the PTA has taken root in Chester's chair, giving out supplies to children and censoring pornography. Really quick, I don't think needing a buddy to pee really gets to the the heart of it. What it means is that he has reverse pee shyness, where most people, (laughs) like, if somebody's next to him at the urinal, they can't pee. He can't pee unless somebody (laughs) is next to him. Just to make that clear, he doesn't need a buddy. He needs he needs just needs somebody there. That was the major conflict of the first couple of episodes. <laughs> <laughs> it did take quite a bit of time with Jack Cole to get that figured out. After visits to Sindar Fulbeek, the priest at the Temple of Joaquin, who preaches the gospel of big business, and to Krog at the Libar, the library that specializes in cookbooks and pornography, the team decided to hold a talent show to complete two of the four tasks required to successfully plan the party for the Queen's visit. A huge town-wide talent show was held to determine, number one, who would give the citizens' address to the Queen, and number two, who would provide entertainment. We met tons of friends like Baggy, the young half-orc woman who makes floral arrangements, Castleberry, owner of Chester's Chair Memorabilia and Merchandise and Albert Penis's landlord, Panea Vorn, leader of the Reed District and basically Batman, and Sir Alistair Turtle, a wiry old former knight who is Jeremiah's nemesis. Boo. We hate the turtle. Albert Penis ate 99 hot dogs. Clegg's bat familiar named Summer's Bounty tried to predict the weather but cannot speak because he's a familiar. And Jeremiah crossed his eyes between two porno mags and made porn 3D. That's where that came from. Yeah, the future is now. <laughs> Then, of course, a chimpanzee and four flying snakes burst through the stage, yelled for Princeville, and attacked. And the battle went terribly. The party was nearly TPK'd by a chimp and four flying snakes, but was rescued at the last moment, embarrassingly, by the heroes of the call to greatness. You then all met Lan Sponk, the cowboy proprietor of Sponk Mart, who promised to sell his goods for 50% less than other retailers. He asked for your support bringing Spock Mart to Chester's chair, but Albert Penis rebuffed him by punching him in the balls and then screamed <laughs> obscenities at the chief of peace, Arnold Dolesbury, his nemesis. Fun fact, I would have let you side with Land Spock and you would then get all future items for 50% of their... Wow. <laughs> wow. Can we rewind that? Yeah, can we rewind <laughs> Unrelease all the episodes. We're going back. Yeah, we're going back to episode three. 
Round two of the talent show is a slugfest. Albert Penis takes third. The children's choir of the Towers Schoolhouse takes second. Bunch of posers. And Jeremiah Jell Sinkley wins it all. The children's choir will be the Queen's Entertainment and Jeremiah will deliver the speech. You promised the children's choir the outrageous sum of 500 (laughs) gold pieces with absolutely no way to pay for it. They earned it. (laughs) (laughs) Albert then built a homunculus servant out of the dead body of the chimpanzee, reanimating him with a third arm in place of his head, a clockwork nightmare of metal, steam, and chimpanzee flesh, who also, thanks to a high-performance role, is beloved by all who see him. Always in our hearts, Chimpy is born. Beloved by all who see him, always in our hearts. I'm putting that on Chimpy's tombstone. Yeah. Spoilers. <laughs> Pour some Chimpy. out. Finally, after an exhausted night of sleep, you visited Krog at the Lie Bar and found a burning pile of pornography outside and Krog himself bound and gagged inside. He offers you a note and gives you a name of who attacked him. Miss Maggie Lathy. <gasps> Also, real quick, uh, burning pilot pornography is how we will cremate Jeremiah Joseph. (laughs) (laughs) That's also the name of my punk band. Check us out on Spotify. We took a diversion to celebrate the 999th Chris Stato Harvest Hootenanny, the annual Halloween festival in Chester's chair. You played games. Jeremiah easily solved the mystery that the DM was hiding. And Clegg Tumstool (laughs) was crowned the High Hooter. The mysterious undead friend, Bumblebee, ran off into the sunset. That made me so sad when the Bumblebee was crying. Yeah. Yeah. Back in town, Clegg asked Maggie Lathy about her thoughts on pornography to test if she was behind the book burning. After all, Krog says he saw her face under a hood. But Clegg was left feeling like she wasn't the culprit. But of course, if not her, then who? You paid your lifestyle expenses. Clegg is living month to month on her student loans. Albert spends far more than he should and is destitute. (laughs) Who'd I base that on? (laughs) (laughs) And Jeremiah lives on the razor-thin line between squalid and poor. But it's your lucky day as a chance encounter with an old gnome woman who's angry at Jeremiah and the god of death turned into a massive 75 gold payday for Albert Penis and a new lease on life for Pellbottom the gnome. Pellbottom's the homie. She she really helped us all turn our lives around. Yeah. Totally. Your leads exhausted for now on the PTA, the party turned their attention back to the Queen's visit. It was time now to plan the feast, the third of the four items you had to check off. And you all decided on Cristado's 100 Ways. The Cristado, of course, is a novelty vegetable grown only in Chester's chair. It's primarily eaten as a dare in wealthier cities, like the One Chip Challenge. It tastes like a potato, but sandier. After Clegg was steamrolled by a very mean Mayor Gaudron Werp... Maybe too mean. Maybe too mean. (laughs) You succeed in getting 54 gold pieces, and so it's off to the Cristado Farms to purchase some Cristados. You've met the Values and Principles Farms, two identical farms mirroring each other on either side of the street. They are mortal enemies. You pit the two farms against each other to negotiate their prices down. And in the process, Albert Penis destroyed several parts of the principal's farm homestead, <laughs> broke the ceiling with a toaster, causing an old man in a bathtub to fall out, then invited that old man to live with him, which he accepts, and thus John Moneyboy Fall was born. Love that man. Back in town, you ran into Jilrana Thistletop, the leader of the Root District, as she rescued a boy from a dilapidated home. Albert Penis almost flirts with her. 
and then promised her 600 gold to create gift bags for the queen, fulfilling the third requirement for the queen's visit of gifts. And, of course, you also had no way to pay her. Suddenly, that evening, Lan Sponk drops in on you, telling you that Miss Maggie Lathy didn't show up to work today while you were out at the farms. She is missing. You decided to find Maggie Lathy immediately. You checked the tower's schoolhouse, improving the grade of a cute eight-year-old boy who looks up to Clegg named Jackson Fisher. We're all Jackson stands here. But otherwise, finding only P. <laughs> you burned a five-foot hole through Maggie Lathy's front door, stole her book, cookies, and swimsuit, and deduced that she had voluntarily gone on a swimming trip. But where? Although it was after midnight on a very long day, you persisted in your search, eventually finding signs of a struggle at the edge of Carla's wilderness, a dark and dense forest outside of town. You followed a path through the forest to Tenor Lake, and there you saw a figure sitting in a rowboat. Jeremiah cast command on the figure, and it approached. I felt like my life was in danger. That was so tense. <laughs> Yeah. Revealing a distraught Sindar Fulby from the Temple of Joaquin. Jeremiah quickly grappled and intimidated him, and the truth came spilling out. Sindar was the full. Sindar was the full beak. Sindar was the full beak. Sindar was the PTA. He was the one who had been reverse burglarizing businesses in town. He planned to blame it all on Maggie Lacey, since everyone knows that she believes in the kind of things the PTA was doing. And even more than that, Sindar Fulbeek let slip a secret boss, a mastermind that had convinced and paid him to do these things. When out from the shadows stepped Lan Spock. And it was spooky. He had followed your trail through Carla's Wilderness. It's because we were yelling and hooting and, and holding making hands bird in a big circle and, and casting light wherever. And casting light. Landspunk explained that he had been trying to censor and pacify the town ahead of the arrival of Spunk Mart because the town was too weird for the mainstream. Good. We don't want your mainstream. He convinced Sindar that it would be good for local business and set him on this dark path. Landspunk attacked, and you all rolled initiative. And now that that uh, big reveal is out of the way, I'll, I will mention who was the one who tied up Krog and burned the porn. That was Sindar Fulbeek. One of Sindar Fulbeek's spells is Disguise Self. So Lanspunk had instructed him to disguise himself as Maggie Lathy and conduct these break-ins. It wasn't even major illusion. It was just Disguise Self. He seemed like a pretty high-level dude. Yeah, he is a priest, if you want to yeah. look on D&D Beyond. You battled Lance Spunk, quickly turning Sindar Fulbeek to your side, though not before he killed Summer's Bounty and Shimpy. No! Almost a TPK. TPK in our hearts. Yeah. Stay in my life. Wow. After being knocked unconscious about four times and turning Lance Spunk's hat into a new homunculus named Stetson, you beat Lan with a firebolt from Clay. You spared Lance Spunk from death to be made an example later. You rescue Maggie Lathy, finding out that she had agreed to come because she was asked out on a date. And you remembered then you found an open book in her home, an allegory called The Loneliest Badger. You gave Summer's Bounty and Chimpy Viking funerals on Tenor Lake by burning the rowboat, then headed back into town, arriving back in town with the sun rising behind you, exhausted but triumphant. And you spend the night exhausted on the floor of Penis Curiosity. Money Boy, the old anarchist that you sort of adopted, made breakfast at 4 p.m. as you rest and recover from your battle with Lan Spunk. 
After hitting level three, Albert shows off his new anti-horse suit of armor, a trash can that he kind of wears. Huge. Defense and offense, baby. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Jeremiah forgave Sindar Fulbeek for his role as lead agent of the PTA, telling him the true judgment will come from his god. I was going to say, I don't know if I don't know if Jeremiah truly forgave him, but he knew that the greater punishment was not his to bestow. And Clegg and Miss Maggie Lathy make up, agreeing to be allies rather than enemies and realizing they have more in common than they first thought. You met Fent Cherrystone, leader of the Pond District, and turned down his offer of free, ornate and beautiful gifts for the Queen's visit. In order to secure the fourth and final piece of the Queen's visit, the feast, you required an expert chef to create 98 more ways to prepare a Cristado. Of course, you already had two of those 100 ways, fried and fried like a fish. (laughs) To accomplish this, you hatched a harebrained plan to infiltrate the Breeze Top Estates, the wealthy and exclusive gated neighborhood at the top of the hill above Chester's chair. To do this, you first visited the Bramble Den, the large marketplace of the Root District carved into a hollowed-out mangrove tree. You saw a whole host of your friends who live in the area, Varshan Decker, Baggy, Jackson Fisher, Pellbottom, and more. Albert bought Money Boy a stylish blue tuxedo. Then you checked in with Jill Rana Thistletop, who warned you that if you weren't able to pay for the gift bag she was making, it would be financially devastating to these very same friends you've just seen. That evening, you made your way finally to the Breeze Top Estates, getting past the guard at the door thanks to your convincing disguises. The two halflings stacked on top of each other, wearing the cowboy hat and boots of Land Sponk, becoming trench coat Land Sponk, the oldest <laughs> trick in the book. <laughs> Jeremiah in his stylish new tracksuit, for Breeze blowing to keep the smell away, and Money Boy looking sharp like the Six Flags dancing old man. <laughs> you also saw up there an old wanted poster of Money Boy. But you were able to narrowly avoid detection at the gates. Bunny Boy uses that as a uh, form of identity when he tries to fly. <laughs> yeah. And then he gets you a great deal on a theme, on theme park tickets. All you need to do is bring in one can of Coke and then you get a half off on your second ticket. <laughs> <laughs> the Breeze Top Estates is beautiful, serene, and most of all, a comfortable temperature. The humidity in the area is blown away by a constant, gentle breeze. For Jeremiah especially, it is the first time in your life where you are not sweating. You found the fanciest restaurant in town, a hotel and restaurant combo called Taste Plus Dignity, and were seated at a table in the palatial white tablecloth dining room. There you sampled the chef's tasting menu, and Rance, the unhappy maitre d', let slip that Matilda... The previous owner of Taste Plus Dignity has left her room untouched after her death. Albert Penis, of course, improvised that her her death was because she was eaten alive by her cats. And uh, <laughs> that is true. It's canon. This prompted Clegg Tumstall to go invisible, make her way upstairs, and find the true will of Matilda hidden in her untouched room. While meanwhile, downstairs... Albert Penis and Jeremiah are sweet-talking Boink and Woody, the two gnome owners of Taste Plus Dignity. They failed, though, to convince them to prepare Quistados for the Queen, despite a fairly high persuasion role, because Boink and Woody are afraid of rocking the boat in their delicate situation. However, just in the nick of time, Clegg Tumstall returned downstairs with the true will, confronting them with it. That will explains that Taste Plus Dignity was never meant to be given to Boink and Woody. It was meant to be burned because Matilda was an evil person full of hate and vitriol. 
Oink and Woody faked the will to better themselves. You agreed to keep their secret with a couple conditions. Prepare Chris Tatos for the feast. Give Jeremiah lots of peach cobbler. Huge. Let Money Boy break one window and rename the restaurant to Taste Plus Dignity equals Penis Curiosity. (laughs) On the way out, Albert Penis visited the cellar and confronted his old nemesis, the man who ran him over with a horse-drawn carriage, derailing his plans to settle in Scarlet Edge, Balden Emberdark. He, surprisingly, asked him for a loan. Balden Emberdark agreed, but gave a warning, pay it back or else. Later, Albert is intercepted on the way to City Hall by the Royal Peacekeeping Force, Sarah Craw and Arnold Dolesbury. They have a warrant to search Penis Curiosity, and you've left Lance Bonk tied up upstairs in Albert's room. They search the place, finding Money Boy mostly nude, and then creeping upstairs. But after opening the door, they find that Lance Bonk has escaped his bindings and gotten away. Of course, his gag removed, Lan was able to misty-step himself outside of the building and run. And with that, it was finally time for the Queen's visit. You reconvene with Tile, who tells you, again, how important the Queen's visit is and warned you not to upset the mayor. The Queen is not who you expected her to be. Queen Josephine IV is a cool young woman from Scarlet Edge, and her bodyguard, Sir Jowls Flapping, is basically Pitbull. This is because Scarlet Edge is fantasy Miami. You show her around town. The queen has an open mind and likes most of what she sees. She's pretty chill. Yeah. Including, surprisingly, the wall-to-wall updated porn in the live bar. <laughs> Jeremiah gave a speech. You ate a hundred variations of Cristado. The children's choir of the Towers Schoolhouse sang. And in a glorious moment of redemption, and after much time and money was spent developing the spell... Clegg's find fluent familiar spell was created and Summer's Bounty sang the lead. You have a dance-off that Tile wins and gift bags from the Bramble Den are well-received by the Queen. Visit overall was a huge success. Before she left, the Queen asked who planned the party, but as Gaudron Warp tried to claim credit for all of your hard work, the three of you, joined by the three district leaders and a pushed right-to-the-edge Tile, informed the queen that it was not Gaudron Werp, but the party planning committee who deserves credit for the great event. Whoop, whoop. The queen offered you a golden bangle worth 300 gold pieces and promised to have a sign erected that would encourage more people to visit Chester's chair. It reads, stop, turn, go to Chester's chair. It's good there. <laughs> <laughs> the heroes of the call to greatness leave with her. You were left there with a deflated Gaudron Werp. His friends and followers, including a nervous and ferocious Tile, have all turned against him. He agreed to pay the huge debt for the party, but while you have successfully improved the reputation of the town and built goodwill with many of its leaders, there might be unintended consequences for upsetting such a powerful person in this way. Dot, dot, dot. And as the year ended, we had a very cozy cuddle much. The winter holiday of Chester's chair. You all did lots of cozy things, hung out with friends, gave and received gifts, and capped it all off with a party and penis curiosity. And you all received letters from your family. Plague and Albert chose to keep theirs away from their friends, reading them silently, but Jeremiah shared his. And we all had a genuinely tender moment before Albert Penis undermined it. Okay. (laughs) And in the morning, you found that Mr. Jack Cole was attacked and robbed by the Cuddlemutch Death Terror. 
And that is our recap for Arc 1. Now, I've got some questions for the players. First one, where were you on January 6th? (laughs) (laughs) So what was your favorite move that another player made? The entire library interaction with the Queen during the the penultimate episode, or I guess the final episode before the Christmas special, uh, threw me for a huge loop. I had no idea what David was planning. Yeah. I was really happy that everybody was like, what the fuck is going to happen? <laughs> we were so shocked. Well, because I was like, oh, great. The worst thing that could happen is that he's going to go on some like weird diatribe about his religion. And it turns nope. out the worst thing he could do was <laughs> customize pornography of the person visiting. <laughs> Dude, rule 34, if it exists, there's porn of it. And he pulls down a big curtain, and it's two gigantic pictures of Queen Josephine, butt-ass naked, side by side. And Jeremiah says, Queen Josephine, now if you look straight in the middle and cross your eyes just Mm -hmm. perfectly... It'll oh, actually God. look like your supple naked body is right in front of you in three dimensions. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. I said the last thing was a big swing and I was wrong. <laughs> this is a big swing. Oh, God. Yeah. That was a great surprise, too. So uh, what made you laugh the most? There is a moment that Alex and I talk about at home just between ourselves like once a week. And that was the scene where Albert Penis is recounting the story of the accident where he gets hit by the horse. And I think my, my favorite moment was when you said... And as I was lying there, everyone yelling, you're fine, you're fine. (laughs) And I, in the moment, like, didn't laugh or react to it because it took me, like, six seconds to sort of understand what was happening. But we talk about that one a lot. Albert, we've, we've just got too much to lose. You know, when I was run over by that horse, I thought my life was over. When I was laying there in the street and people kept saying, you're fine, you're fine, and I (laughs) knew that I was dying, I thought that was the end of my life. But I chose to take a risk. I chose to stand up. Now you two can live your life as if you're about to die being run over by a horse, or you can stand up. Yeah, I love playing an idiot, so uh, that was fun for me. (laughs) It was so subtle, too, because Dewey, you do all these great speeches you can do these big emotional speeches yeah. <laughs> so what moment shocked you the most the moment that most shocked me was definitely the jeremiah jill sinkley Cristado farms negotiation um i also had it down his favorite reveal and <laughs> favorite move because that was such a crazy moment where it was so tense it was like one of the most tense moments that our show got outside of a combat which is rare in D D. And I thought it was just like this whole other side to Jeremiah that none of the players and none of the other characters had seen before. (laughs) 20 gold. 20 gold. Now, Terrence, both you and I know how the Chris Tato sales have been going. I've worked for you on your farm in the past. We've been friends for many years. I I follow the futures contracts for the Chris Tatos and they are in the dust. They're underwater. They're underwater. I need these Chris Taters. You need to get rid of them. Otherwise, they're going to go bad soon. 
How much are you offering, Jeremiah? Four gold. Yeah, that was fun to listen to for because I didn't listen to it on the episode. In the episode I took oh, my headphones right. <laughs> out when I wasn't in the room. So listening to it back, I was like, "What? This is yeah, weirdly intense." <laughs> he goes really dark for the first time. Yeah, that was yeah. cool. Yeah. One of my favorite moves was Clegg on that same episode having discussions with her minor illusion father figure. Yeah, that was fun. You were using minor illusion as your therapy, which I found hilarious listening back to <laughs> yeah. it. So Clegg's going to minor illusion. She's in the middle of the street. She's going to minor illusion the two teens. And she's going to say, I don't understand why you two can't just respect me. She's having her own negotiation. She's saying, <laughs> I'm trying my best, but all you do is hoot at me. And it makes me sick. All I've ever done is my best. And I've never done anything wrong except for that one time. And I would just like it if you would stop hooting. You say this to the illusory faces? Yeah, just to the, the <laughs> it's the concept of teens. Great. Yeah, I was just like, everyone's having a negotiation. What is Clegg's negotiation? And maybe it is with herself and her beefs. I did love that because from a metagame point of view, I was like, great, this is a great plan they came up with. I was like, oh, Clegg doesn't get to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> we kind of <laughs> fucked that up. <laughs> While we're talking about Chelsea and Clegg, not a moment, but several moments, I just love that there were several times where we really needed a spell slot. But Chelsea had in that day run into a small animal and tried to talk to it, so we couldn't do it. So my favorite small moment was when we were all at the Breestop Estates. We were waiting for Albert Penis, who was at the cellar, and Clegg and Jeremiah were at the fountain, and we were discussing, like, what is the local flora and fauna that come out in the nighttime? Um, and Alex was like, all these bats come up. And, <laughs> and he, I asked for their names, and he went through, and he named each and every one <laughs> in the little bat voice that he does for Summer's Bounty. So that was very pleasing to me. And like, we'll very briefly cast Speak with Animals, not for any plot reason, just to say hi to the bats to see if they're like summer's bounty in any way great you hear tons of voices oh, oh hello <laughs> ah, my name's midnight my name's rufus my name's orange marmalade <laughs> they fly around i just did it just to hear that and no other reason yeah i've always really my my favorite small moments are always really nat's ass details to alex and he he just comes up with it yeah david and chelsea are you you two are constantly being like and what's the name of that and who wrote that and what yeah like these little details that don't matter but that's where the show lives you know especially this show we live in those like tiny details that's fun i did like that whenever we saw baggy uh who we later learned was a sexual rival for albert Pino. Uh, <laughs> we always clay would always go hi baggy, hi, baggy. which i thought was very cute yeah I and do maybe think, future romance yeah i do think clay has a crush on baggy <laughs> well it has been a great couple of months exploring the world of chester's chair and wow we are just getting started i've got so many fun things to show all of you players that i'm really excited for and of course, to share oh with all of you. Oh my God, he's listeners. got a gun. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a gun, it's just more DD. 
After a one-week break, we'll be back with the second arc of Small Town D&D and get to see what's changed and what's next. So until then, thank you listeners for listening. Thank you players for playing. Thank you DMs for DMing. DMing a seven-page speech. I wrote a seven-page speech for this. Check out our Instagram at SmallTownDND. We post lots of fun stuff there, including photos of the cast, little bios, photos of the characters, a map. And very soon, check out those photos and more on our new website. More information in the next episode in the launch of Arc 2. Until then, rate and review the show. Subscribe to us wherever you're listening to this. And please tell your friends. All of those things really help us grow the show. We're excited about the show. We hope you are too. And until then, bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.